Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Every CPG brand I've talked to over the past year has been laser focused on expanding into retail. While the initial order volumes can look promising, growth takes significant investment in managing those relationships and driving sales. So how do you actually keep track of what's going on once you're in those thousands of stores? My guest today is Will Salcido, who's the founder of Bedrock Analytics, who's here to discuss what CPG brands can do in 2024 to drive success in retail. Will, welcome. Thanks, Jordan. Pleasure to be here. So I'd love for you just to give like a quick 30 seconds of what you do at Bedrock Analytics so that our listeners can have a little bit of context for the perspective you're bringing. Sure. So Bedrock is a software platform that works on top of the data that you have. So it could be Spins or Nielsen, Circana. You might have Amazon data, Costco.com data, really any sort of retail data. And what it does is it puts together interesting dashboards, insights, visualization, stories, actually in the form of a a narrative, uses AI on top of that to to make sense of it and tell you a bit of a story and tell you what's happening. And then it automatically exports it into decks. And these decks are then delivered to a a retail buyer. So we've automated a part of what a a category management team would do. You still need some folks to look at the data, but now salespeople can do it on their own and do it in really about 10 seconds is nuts. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think one thing that I see brands struggling with all the time is how do I best tell my story in a way that's supported by meaningful numbers, velocity, distribution, things like that, where it's speaking the language of the the retailer. So one thing I think we have a really great vantage point in seeing the data kind of behind a lot of the brands in the CPG space. And so I'm curious, what do you see as the largest challenges for emerging CPG brands coming up this year? Yeah, it's interesting, right? They tend to have a lot of the innovation that retailers really want right now. Yeah. A lot of the times what we see is they don't know how to tell their story in the way that a retailer will take a risk, you know, with that brand. So you have to prove to them that you have the velocities, you know, even if you did a test in a small regional chain, you've got to convince a much larger retailer that you're worth those four inches of shelf space and that you're not going to get discontinued in about six months. And I think that's something that they struggle with is moving away from the founder story of like, you know, we started this brand and, and sold it in a farmer's market and we make it all from scratch and which is important, but then the retailer is thinking about risk. And I think that conversation is hard for a lot of smaller brands to have because a lot of the times they don't have the data, so they can't back it up. Yeah, I think that's really key. You know, one thing that I heard in talking to category managers, just like retail buyers at, at grocery stores, that they are essentially responsible for a P&L or profit loss, like for their part of the store. And so what's important for them is driving traffic, but ultimately driving revenue. And yeah. every, as you mentioned, like those four inches of shelf space are really important and everything's filled, right? The store shelf is a hundred percent full yeah, of products right. instead of just slotting as long as they're not out of stock. So like they have to take someone off and you have to outperform them or provide some additional value that other product didn't provide. Yeah. I think people sometimes don't see this, but retail you know, supermarkets in general, food retail is the most competitive real estate in the world. Right? Think of how many brands, right? There's 35,000 CPGs from what we can tell in the US. They're competing for inches. I mean, there's 352 olive brands. Wow. And yet there's only eight sold in a store typically. That so it's so compiled. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, it's incredible. 
so con- it's incredible to see that and it's so competitive. Yeah. And so what are some of those things that retailers are looking at in terms of storytelling, right? Like what are those data points that brands need to share that are going to get help them stand out? Sure. Well, if, if you're an existing, a, a larger existing brand, it's different. If you're emerging, they're they don't really have a track record on you. So they want to know a few things. So they like, they're going to taste the product and like it, right? So they're, they're going to say, my shoppers or my guests, your target will like it. What they want to know is, are you going to support the brand? How are you going to get people to buy it? So you have to have a trade plan in place that says, we're going to do these promotions at these times and we're going to lower the price. Here's what we think is going to happen when we lower the price via a temporary price reduction for two weeks, let's say once a quarter. And then you have to have some numbers that shows that when you lower the price to that level, you do get that those results. That's where testing in a small retailer makes a lot of sense. They're going to look for, well, what is, I'm going to take your two, you know, you presented five, I'm going to take your two SKUs. If this does well, what else is next? So they want to know that you have an innovation pipeline. If you just go in with that, they're not sure that you're going to be able to grow with them if they give you more doors. And the other one is around your base pricing. They want to make sure that you're a good value and that you're also, you're not selling it somewhere else for a much lower price. I think those are all really key. I'm curious to hear your perspective. When a relatively new brand is entering into a retailer, how much is the brand responsible for driving sales in that retailer versus the retailer using their own tools to drive sales? Sure. That's a good one. It should be a partnership. Not all retailers approach it that way. Most try. I think it's very hard when you have so many brands in a section and you're trying to, not everyone can get a a deal uh, or the support because you have to drive volume. If if you're a very small niche brand, it's going to be hard for the retailer to say, well, let me make sure that this brand succeeds because they're expecting you to drive it. So I would expect if if you're the founder of, of of an emerging brand to not, I mean, don't count on the retailer to help you out. Hopefully they do, they should, but you should just build a business and and set aside a little bit of cash to promote it, drive volume with promotions. Yeah, Yeah. that's one thing that I've learned from my own experience as well. And and naivety, right? Like we sold into our first retailers and with T-Squares and I was like, okay, great. Like they're going to help sell it, right? Like my job's to make the product that makes them really good and their job is to sell it and come to find out that from their perspective, really they view themselves as like hey we're providing a location for someone to potentially buy your product but we still rely on you as you mentioned there's thousands of products in the store you still rely on you the brand to help make that connection with the the consumer and drive them to buy your product in our stores and so i think that that mind shift is really important because without it that's why a lot of products end up getting discontinued i see a lot of brands expanding into hundreds of stores thousands of stores without having the consumer awareness or plan to really reach them. It's tough. It's tough. And I think sometimes we all forget, right? The retail buyers, the merchandisers, the individual buyers trying to do a good job so they can get promoted onto an even larger desk. Yeah. So it's like they have to, they got to hit the numbers, right? Both top line and bottom line. And you have to be really aware of what role you play in that calculation, right? In that formula. Are you a you know a profit driver? Do you bring in a specific consumer that's really important to that retailer that's going to buy other things, right? And you can you can hopefully quantify that, or you're just going to drive top line growth, and that's all good. You can be either. What you don't want to be is neither of those. So then you get disco <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have deep pockets, then you could do it. Yeah, and you yeah, some retailers they actually right larger brands that are literally buying shelf space. Sure, that is another approach. You could do it. That way. <laughs> you know, as, as you're 
emerging brands are thinking about like, how do I show that data is data from like a small independent store where you're able to like measure your sales velocity by week or by month? Like, is that something that's going to translate well to a larger retailer? Or like, how do you take yeah. that smaller story and position it that you can be successful at a larger retailer? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Some retailers will give you your own data for free, right? The Whole Foods of the world, you know, companies like that. Retailers like that. So that's the place you want to start getting your own transactional data. What you're trying to fit, and you're going to have shipment information, but you don't really know what store it's in. So get as granular as data as you can get, you can get week by week. The reason is you want to track when you do lower the price, when there's some, you know, when you're at full distribution, what is that? How do you perform? Because you want to take that story and show another retailer, like, look, here's how we did. Once we're in full distribution, we actually grew 30% and all these things, right? Um, then you're going to eventually hopefully get competitive data. You can get that some, you can usually get that from like the Nielsen's, the spins or the Circanas of the world. A lot of companies that are emerging will get that from like a spins. You could start with a quick snapshot and what, what you're going to get in that is total country, maybe a retailer or two, and then you get your category and all your competitors' items, which is so important. Because you, if you just see your own performance, it's interest, it's good, but you want to know where you stack up against the rest. Because you actually might be have, you might have a top performing item, you just you don't, you don't even know it. I love that. No, that's really important. And then for our listeners as well, the Food Bevy has a partnership with Nielsen IQ's Visor platform, and so Perfect. all of our brands can get three free reports. I'll drop a link in the comments. Definitely make sure you take advantage of that now, so you can see both your own performance and then, as we'll just mention, your competitors' performance as well. And then with that. Will, like when you're talking about your potential for velocity, I know you kind of mentioned like trade spend and things like that. How should brands be thinking about measuring their promotional performance in a way that they should can tell that story, right? Like, is it looking at your pre-promotion sales, sales during promotion and like post-sales lift? Like, how do you think about collecting that information so you can retell that story? Sure. There's a, a couple of kind of KPIs that folks seem to use a lot. And that is the number of weeks that you were on sale for a given promotion, the lift, which is what you sold as, as a result. So the difference between your everyday sales and the sales during that that promoted event. And then you do it, as you mentioned, it's pre, during, and then post. The best thing that can happen is pre, you're at one level, you know, in the middle of the promotion, clearly you have some lift, you know, at, at least 20%, hopefully much higher than that. And then afterwards, you see an uptick in your regular business, not on sale. And what, what, what that means is, and, and that will depend on the frequency of purchase of your product. If it's something that's only consumed twice a year, it, it's difficult to track that. If it's consumed hopefully once a month, something like that, you might see then consumers buy it at a regular price. And the whole goal of promotions, right, is not to sell your product at a lower margin. It's to get trial. You're trying to get people to buy it by lowering the barrier to entry at a lower price point. They buy it and then they love it, hopefully, because it tastes really good. And then they buy it at a regular price because they can't live without it. And that's what you're trying to achieve. I love that. So that data, I think, will go really far in getting you onto the shelf. But then as anyone with products in retail knows, staying on the shelf is really the most difficult part. And so yes. what data should brands be looking at? Let's say they're in their first you know, 400, 500 stores. It's really hard to keep track of what's going on in each individual store. Like, How should brands be thinking about leveraging data to make sure that they are performing well where they need to and not missing any gaps? Yeah, that's a good one. We're seeing several measures really stand out with retailers and what they seem to want to 
want to see from brands. We also help some companies when they're in a corner and they're like, okay, I'm about to get discoed. What do we do? So then, so we have a lot of experience with this. I would say velocity measures, specifically of one velocity measure uh, called units per store per week. It's the cleanest version of any velocity measure because there's a million different ones, but that one seems to be working well above, you know, I would say it's more important than dollars per store per week. So units per store per week is just straight volume and how quickly you turn in a store. If you can prove that a lot of the times these smaller brands are not going to be in the top, you know, not going to be top ranked because they don't have full distribution. They have one facing, they have one, two or three SKUs versus their competitors who have 20 SKUs, right? So it's really hard to be above that bottom 20% line where you might get discoed. Where the where emerging brands do really well typically is with velocities. Usually it'll be dollar velocities because our price points tend to be higher. So use that if you have to. Units is ideal because you're moving cases, which is important for the retailers. But either dollars or units per store per week, you'll usually be toward the middle of a ranking if, if things are going as planned. And then you have a good case. It's hard for a retailer to eliminate like highly productive SKUs, even if you're at the bottom of a ranking from a dollar a unit perspective. So definitely hang on to that. Make that your story. There's another angle, which is opportunity gap. You can say... Look, retailer or Mr. Retailer, or Mr. Retailer, or you know, whatever that is a, a buyer. We're only in 10% of stores and we're already at this level, right? If we were to be in 40% of your stores, here's what it would be. And you know, platforms like Bedrock, we add, it automatically calculates all these opportunities for them. That's super important. I, I, I like what you mentioned because one mistake that I made with T Squares, which was we launched in about it's like 80 Mariano stores in the Chicagoland area. And mm-hmm. we just thought like, hey, let's just launch the product and see how it does on its own. Right. And like maybe have a little bit of organic press to help build that awareness. But like, let's just see how it performs. And what ended up happening was like it was a complete mess because we weren't measuring what was going on. We were merchandised in five different locations and different stores. No one knew where the product was. The store level personnel had no idea what our product was. I went to one store and they were like, I was like, hey, we make like T-squares. Have you seen? They were like on the shelf and they were like, took me to the brew tea section when we were in the energy bar. And then even there we couldn't find it. So it was like a whole mess. And what ended up happening, we were kind of late out the gate of supporting the brand in those stores and eventually ended up getting discontinued because of it, because we couldn't show the the velocity. And so how do you recommend brands like take a more active approach to like measuring, like making sure the product's actually moving, making sure there's no out of stocks to make sure that they're not um, starting out behind? Sure. That's a good question and a difficult one for a lot of brands to tackle. Even the larger brands in the world suffer, you know, struggle with it. It starts with data, fortunately. So you need to be able to guide the retailers. And the reason that that happens, by the way, where you're merchandising a million different ways and you, you really aren't getting the support is because they're busy. They're focused on other things and they're like, well, figure it out, guys. If you can do the work for them, which is a retailer, like here's where I think we should go, create a planogram for them. There's some really affordable options. You don't have to spend a lot for a license, but you, there's some affordable options. You can even draw it in PowerPoint if you want with little squares. If you give them that, do that, measure things for them, send them a monthly report of their data of how things are going for them. They're more likely to do what you say because you're doing the work for them. They just don't usually want to take a risk. But if you could do their homework, again, they'd be like, okay, great, let's give it a shot. And I think a lot of brands never try that because they're waiting for their annual category review to do it. But if you were just to feed them a little bit of insights once a month when you get fresh data, they're very likely, you know, by the third or fourth month to say, let me try that approach if I can swap things around. Yeah, I like the idea of providing a proactive 
active monthly check in with the buyer, because even if you're just like emailing something over to them, right, like they might not have time at the beginning to sit down, they definitely don't have time at the beginning to like sit down with every single brand that they work with. But if you are showing that you're invested in them and make it specific to what they're doing, even showing like picture of like you going in the store and checking on the shelf or doing merchandising, having your team go out. I think that probably goes a long way like, oh, wow, like this person actually cares. And it's that constant touch point. And just like anything, I know you work in data, but like this is really the relationship business, right? And so all about like people and being top of mind. Of course. Yeah. And they're really, you know, you think an emerging brand is understaffed and and it's true, right? These retailers, though, they went through a lot of layoffs. They, They really never hired back a lot of folks. They're operating on very slim margins. They don't have the analytical support in house to do a lot of this work. So if you could help them with it, they'll really appreciate it. And so along with that, and you mentioned some of the staffing issues they're having, like what else are retailers really focusing on or pivoting towards for this year? Yeah, from what we've seen, trade dollars. They want promotions. It's expensive though. They're looking for margin, which is, you know, trade. And they also want, you know, they want to steal market share from their competitors in the retail landscape, right? Which means get caught prices into my store. That way they buy it here. Assortment. We've seen that they're doing, they've done a lot of rounds of skew rationalization. So they're trying to focus, they're trying and ensure that they have the right items on shelves. But at the same time, which is very interesting because it's kind of the opposite of that, they're also looking for innovation. So they're looking for new items. You know, they're looking for what consumers are are shopping for, right? They're trying to compete with Amazon and everywhere else. So they're they're trying to kind of create a a broad assortment or SKUs for some brands, but then interesting SKUs from others or from that same brand. So it's it's interesting. And then lastly, I would say partnerships. We kind of talked about it earlier, but they're looking for brands that can support them in a lot of different ways. So it could be trade dollars, it could be analytics, other support because they're understaffed. I like those. You know, one misnomer, I think, is the term innovation as it's been Mm -hmm. been used because I think there's a sense that like innovation just means anything that's new versus something that's maybe in high demand that they don't have. Can you kind of share like, I know you see a lot of products. Can you talk through like what the best well, innovation actually means. Yeah, that's a good one. It's I don't mean like another flavor. I don't. That, that's typically innovation. You know, another flavor of something you already have, and that's okay if there's a big gap. But it's more what consumers are looking for, right? How their lives are changing, and I think what retailers and what most brands should be trying to build are like. What is my consumer? Where is the pain point for my consumer? And a clear path towards that is convenience. Everybody wants convenience. They want to spend less time, right? Things that are pre-mixed are convenient. Yet you don't want to do everything for them in most categories. Consumers don't want to feel like they're a little bit in control. So you kind of have them add one ingredient if it's like some sort of component meal, right? So things like that. And not also not innovation just from, from a packaging standpoint, unless it's convenient, mm-hmm. which is it makes it easy to open or something, right? Or you can reseal it. People want that. Okay, that's it's, it's a tough one. It's just, it's a broad one, right? Because we can go down a million different paths. But well, but it's almost like not me. Me too. Products don't work. There's there's more to it. It's something that I like fill in with my product. I say because with T squares we had like four innovations within it in terms of like being in the multi serve pouch when we were really an energy bar, having bite sized mm-hmm. pieces, using tea as a primary hero ingredient, and having flavors like citrus, green tea, matcha. Right. Like there were so many new native things that were different, but also made a moat around our product, not just from our competitors, but from our customers, because they had no idea what it was. So I always tell brands to be careful in terms of identifying, like, what are those key things that are leading a consumer to like buy a product and make sure you're hitting on those to really stand out? Well, I think I know why you were merchandise in five different places. Exactly. They had no idea. I had no idea. Well, one thing that I've also, uh, you and your team put out is this idea that different retailers have different metrics that are important to them. Can you share maybe like what some of those are and like how 
they make decisions? Yeah, some are all about productivity. Productivity typically means velocities. That's so units per shop per week. There's other measures like sales planner distribution. So some are all about productivity for a large portion of brands that are sold there. And those would be, I would say, high volume types of, of retailers. Others are looking for truly innovative things. And there, it's very different because it's not so much about the volume. It's it's mostly about the profit. Much harder to track, actually, because you can't get profit data for competitors. And some are really looking for, like, you'll notice this when you walk into a retailer and you see it, a lot of tags when you go down an aisle. Everything's on sale. That is their focus, right? Like, which is this retailer likes to do trade promotions. And that's kind of their game, right? They like to do that and, and it's like a high low strategy so you, if you want to be there and succeed you probably have to have to do that too yeah i love those and those are important to know because it changes yeah. how you build those presentations and, and pitch decks right yeah and just walk the story you can kind of see it you'll notice like what do they focus on what do they give space to what's on display all these things right and that's really that's typically who they are I love that. That's so important. Well, thanks so much for being on today and sharing all these great tips on helping founders drive success in retail in 2024. Really appreciate you being on. I'll include links to the things that we talked about in the conversation, include links to uh, the Nielsen IQ data, and then also to BitRock Analytics. Well, thanks for joining me. Of course. Thanks, Jordan. See you.